0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Well done for getting here. It was hard this morning, wasn't it? No? Okay. Oh, good. Right. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, we're at Daniel chapter 3. If you haven't been here lately, you might not know that we're uh, doing a series through the book of of Daniel. And we've done 1 and 2. And so far we've seen some great encouragements, I guess, as the people of God. First of all, chapter 1, that God is sovereign, that he is in control when apparently everything is uh, going in a bad direction or we don't know what seems to be happening in the world. Actually, Daniel 1 reassured us that God is in control, despite circumstances when on the surface it doesn't appear like he's in control, actually he's sovereign and he is in control. And then there was chapter 2, which really tells us that God, God's kingdom has broken into this world, amen? And that God's is a kingdom that will increase... It will ultimately fill the whole earth, we, it doesn't look like that right now, but we are part of that kingdom and the ultimate destiny of our world is that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will fill the earth and will prevail over every other kingdom. That really was chapter two, okay, you, you see, we could have done those two weeks like that. Um, no, no, I'm not, don't hear what I'm not, no, no, I don't want this getting back to him just because he's not here today. Um so, now we come, chapter 3, to one of the more, uh, slightly more famous chapters in the Bible. You may have read it before. Uh, you probably remember it from Sunday school, maybe, if you went to Sunday school. Um, this is uh, Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. So, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's in charge of Babylon and the whole empire around there, He makes an image of gold and he requires everybody within the kingdom to bow down before the image of gold. The Jews who are in exile in Babylon, you'll remember this, all the professional classes from Israel have been taken into exile in Babylon to be assimilated into that culture. But the... the the friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that we've been, we've been following their story and they refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold and are reported to the king. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Uh, Daniel 3, uh, verse 14. And I've just asked Helen to come and read it for us today.
1: And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up shadrach meshach and abednego and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace then king nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire and they replied certainly your Maj- majesty and he said look i see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like a son of the gods Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. And the Satrap's prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way.
0: Amen. Oh, you can clap if you like, that's fine. Father, we, we just want to thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you for that truth in verse 29 there, that no other God can save in the way that you can. No other God can save like you can. No other God is like you, Jesus Christ, Lord, King, name above every name, we worship you today. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would change our lives, Lord. We don't want this just to be some old story that we heard in Sunday school that is so familiar, Lord. We want your word to penetrate deep into our hearts today and change us, Lord. So we pray, come by your spirit. Lord, rest on us. Move amongst us. Do what only you can do this morning, Lord, we pray. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the context really in Babylon here is a clash of kingdoms that is very similar to our own. Uh, we can look at these pages of the Bible, can't we, and think that this is a million miles from where we are. But actually, uh, the clash of kingdoms, the reality that we live with in 2017 in the UK is not so different from 600 years BC um, in the kingdom of Babylon. And what, So what is apparently going on in the world around us is not actually all that is going on, hence the poster. I, I hope you've, you've noticed the poster of, of the Daniel series. So you've got the world going on, on the surface, as normal, everything we see, but actually underneath there's some other things, there's another reality. There's another reality of our sovereign God who's in control. And as Colin said the other week, we know that He is in control of those who are in control. We are part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which has come, which is growing, and which will one day fill the whole earth a kingdom of love and peace and mercy, and joy, and justice, but right now, the truth is, the reality is, the Bible tells us that we live as aliens and strangers in another kingdom, that actually the kingdom of this world, the culture around us in the world in which we live, is different from the the kingdom of Jesus Christ, amen, do you know that? That actually the values and beliefs of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that we've been born into, if we've been born again, if we're followers of Jesus, that the values and beliefs of the kingdom that we're now part of are utterly different from the values and the beliefs of the culture and the world around us in which we live. Amen? That's true, isn't it? And the Bible tells us that we are aliens and strangers, therefore, that this world is not our home. That once we're born into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that we become his followers, that we make him Lord, actually what goes on in the world around us in that culture is alien to us, it's foreign to us and we should feel a little bit out of place therefore. And so the question for us is, and the question that we get to in chapter 3 of Daniel when this backdrop has been painted is how then do we live In this clash of cultures. How then do we live when we're citizens of one kingdom. Living according to the values and the truths of our king. How do we live in the context of a completely different set of values. And a completely different kingdom around us. How do we live. What does it look like to live faithfully to Jesus Christ in that that kingdom. In that context. And. Daniel chapter 3 is just a great chapter for giving us some pointers, I believe, to what it looks like to live faithfully as Jesus' kingdom members, if you like, as his people within this alien world. And there's some very clear challenges to us as Christians. And the first one is this, that true faith In Jesus Christ, true following of him in the context of a world with a different set of values, true faith cannot be privatised. That's the key message of chapter three. True faith cannot be hidden away. It's impossible to live according to the set of values, according to the principles of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but also... To live according to the ways of the world. It's not possible to do both. And I think it's easy for us, and it would have been easy for Daniel's friends in chapter 3, to privatise their faith, if you like. To, behind closed doors, sing worship to Jesus, say all the things that we're supposed to say, confess to the truth that he's Lord, that his, that his way goes That his is the agenda that we follow. To do that when we're in church, when we're behind the scenes. But then when we go out into the world every day and we mix with the people of our culture who don't know Jesus, to just fit in with what everybody else is doing. It's easy to privatise our faith in that way, isn't it? And you see, that was the challenge to Daniel's friends, to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, was that... They, they, they were called to privatise their faith, to leave it behind closed doors. That when they were in public, when they were with the rest of the people from the Babylonian culture, they were to fit in with what everybody else was doing. They were, if you like, to bow down. You see, the God that Nebuchadnezzar, this, this image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar set up, it wasn't a particular god. It didn't have a name, if you notice, He just set up an image of gold and said, I want you to bow down before this. In effect, it represented the culture of the day. You see, Babylon was multicultural. It was was just like the UK in our day. It was full of different cultures, full of different beliefs. And you see, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't bothered if you did your own thing behind closed doors. You could worship whatever God you liked in your own private space. But when you're in public, in the context of the culture of Babylon then you were to bow down to the image of gold. You were to bow down to the gods. And the challenge to us today is the same one. To say, when we're outside of the comfort of the people of God and when everybody's doing the same thing and saying the same thing and believing the same thing, singing the same songs, is will we stand, will we go against the flow of the culture that is around us? Or will, our, will we leave our faith private? Will we be authentic and live according to the values that Jesus has put in us and enables us by his spirit to live by wherever we are, whatever group of people we're in? Or when we're out in the world with a completely different set of values, will we bow down? Will we fit in with the culture around? Will we fit in with everybody else? And that's the challenge to us. And the response of Daniel's friends is, no, we're not going to privatise our faith. We believe in the true living God. We'll follow his ways. We'll live according with, uh, to his purposes and his truth wherever we are. We will not bow down to the prevailing culture. And the interesting thing is, isn't it, that this is not about the people of God. This is not about Daniel's friends separating themselves from the culture. On the contrary, absolutely the opposite of that. These guys are incredibly immersed in the culture. They're right in the thick of it. They have positions of incredible influence. They're leaders within the culture. And that's exactly where God wants them. But they will not compromise their values, and their beliefs, and the truth. Amen? Amen. Now, this is a, this represents a whole load of challenges for us, doesn't it? In all sorts of different ways, and the challenge and the, the, the point where this hits home for you will be different from me, and it'll be different from the person who sits next to you, but what I want us to do this morning is to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight for us where the rubber hits the road on this for us, if you like. Where is it that we feel that tug between what the kingdom of God tells us, what Jesus Christ is calling us to do, how he's calling us to live, where we feel the tug between that and the prevailing culture in the world around, where we feel the pull to bow down to the God, to to the to the god of the of the culture around to bow down to nebuchadnezzar's god if you like see this is not don't be fooled by the fact that nobody's asking you to bow down to an actual image of gold in the uk in the 20 in 2017 that's not the point but there is a pull to bow down to the prevailing culture to the gods around us there's an incredible pull and that will pull on us in different places in life and the question is will we bow Or will we be faithful to Jesus Christ? Amen? It's a serious question and it will affect us in different ways. So for some, it may be in the world of work. When we're asked to compromise or to lie because of the things that are required of us in in our workplace... Or where we've set boundaries and said, no, I'll only go so far because of the values that I have of family and of God and the way that I want to organise my life. And work says to us, no, I want more from you. We need more from you. It's those kind of pressures, isn't it? And, and the question is, will we do what God is calling us to do? Will we be faithful to what he's put in us or will we bow to the prevailing culture? For others of us, it may be when we're amongst friends who are not necessarily followers of Jesus, and the atmosphere and the way that we talk about other people, the gossip, the way that we tear people down or the conversation around us is to pull people down, to victimise, to pick on those who are different, that kind of a group culture that we so easily f- find ourselves pulled into when we're in the culture around us. And the question there is, will we be faithful to what we know is right according to Jesus Christ? Will we, will we follow his ways? Will we do what we know the Spirit is saying to us? Or will we bow to the prevailing culture? Will we keep quiet? Will we go along with the flow of what is prevailing around us? Will we bow down? For other uh, as us... Others of us, it may be in the area of relationships and sex. Where Jesus would say, the place of sex is within marriage, that long-term commitment. But the prevailing culture would say, absolutely not. You do whatever you like, you go with the flow. That's part of expressing who you are. We're made as sexual beings. And the question for us is, will we do what, God is calling us to do? Will we follow the truth of the Bible? Will we make him Lord in every situation? Or will we go with the flow of the prevailing? Will we bow down? For others of us, it may be in the area of time or money and what we do with those things. Because if our culture around us is anything, it's consumerism gone mad. And the culture around us says to us, your money, your time, they're yours. You do with them whatever you, with what, what, whatever you please with them to satisfy yourself, to fulfill yourself, whatever to make your life as full and as rich as it can be. But I don't believe that's the, those are the principles of the kingdom of God. Actually, God says that your time, your money, they're mine, God says. I've given them to you as a gift. They're for you to use, to bless others, to bring glory to me. Yes, I bless you with things to enjoy life. But the way that you think about your time and your money is utterly different in the kingdom of God as it is in the prevailing culture around us. And the question is, will we follow the prompting of the Spirit? Will we stop long enough to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us when it comes to those decisions about our time and our money? Or will we go with the flow of what is around us? Enjoy yourselves. Use it for your own good. Will we bow down to the culture around? And in so many, we could go on and on with different examples. And this will affect us all in different ways. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit this morning to speak to us and to challenge us. And these are tough things. These are not easy questions. But this is the big question of Daniel chapter 3. We've had the The kingdoms, the clash of kingdoms. We've had the sovereignty of God painted to us. But now the question is, and so how will we respond? How will we live in a culture which is is not in tune with the kingdom of God? And we need to allow God to speak to us and say, in this area, in this area, to put the finger on us. To say, will you follow me? Will you follow what the spirit is saying? Will you follow what the word of God would say to you? Or will you cave in? To the, to the culture around? Will you go with the flow? Will you, will you be swept along with the crowd? Will you bow down? And I think this is a subtle one. Because often it's not the obvious things that we, that, that we would see on the surface. What it means to honour God. Because often if we're going with the, the flow of the culture around, we won't even notice Unless the Holy Spirit is actively at work, unless we're seeking God, unless we're asking Him, unless we're saying, Holy Spirit, will you show me where I'm to take a different direction? Then so easy, often it's just, we, without thinking, we will follow those around. And I'd, this morning I, I'd love to, you to hear a story. I've asked, uh, Deb Bristow, just to come and share, I heard this story the other day, and I thought this is a great illustration of what I'm talking about here, about just going in a different direction, in a, not a very obvious area that we would necessarily think of. Um, Deb, come and tell us your story.
2: Morning. Um, I don't know if some of you might know, some of you don't. I'm a nurse at the hospital, and a lot of my patients are alcoholics, so that's kind of where I work in the hospital. Um, and um, one day, I'd spent the day with the alcohol laser nurse, and we'd spent a lot of time with one of our one of the patients, and he'd had real problems with alcohol um, over the years. And it just really touched me how he didn't have any hope. That was mainly the, what, what the whole thing was about. He didn't have any hope. He, everything seemed hopeless, and his only sorry, it's quite <laughs> his only his only solace in life was he'd get up every day, he'd go to ASDA, by himself twelve cans of cider he'd go home drink 12 cans of cider and get up the next morning and start again and it was just like this chap didn't have any hope and it was really frustrating because as a nurse you're not allowed to share your faith at work you can't talk about Jesus so I couldn't say anything about God to him but in my heart I was just like Lord you just want to help this man but there's nothing I can do so we just went through loads of scenarios about how we could help him self-help and um, go into groups and all this kind of thing and and that's all, that's all we could offer him. There was nothing else we could do, really. And he had to decide if he wanted to do that or not. And he was in a hopeless state. And he, I don't think he could really get beyond where his problems were. So um, eventually he went home and, and I just carried on with my job. And then a few weeks later, I'd been out for the day with my friend. And we were walking through the town centre. It's about six o'clock at night. And um, she was on, about to go home. And sitting on a park bench in the, in the town centre outside Debenhams was this chap surrounded by cans of cider now i could have walked by but i chose not to so i went over to him and said hi how are you doing what you doing sitting here look you did so well you dried out why are you gone back to this again and he was just like i just got so lonely i didn't i got no nothing to do nothing you know my life is just useless and at that moment i i knew i had to to go into the tesco's and i said look i have gotta go to tesco's i'll come out i'm gonna go shopping and then i'll come out and i'll have a chat with you so I went to Tesco's and as I came out, he was actually sat there watching the door to make sure I came over. So I went over to him and sat on the bench with him and we just chatted and I was in my uniform so I could be who I wanted to be. So I just turned around to him and I said, look, what I'm going to tell you, you might not agree with if I said, but, you know, it isn't hopeless. There is a God that loves you and there's nothing that you've done that he can't forgive you for or love you for. And he just sat there and he said, I really appreciate you saying that. I might not believe what you're telling me, but thank you for sharing that with me. So we just had this conversation and then I was like, right, what are you going to do now? And he's going, well, I don't know. I'll just sit here. And I said, no, you're going to go home. You're going to get on the bus. And then tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to go to the the rehab center. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I said, no, 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 you're going to do this. So I was being quite um, forceful with him. Part of me was like, do I get on the bus with him? Then I thought, no, I better be safe. So, <laughs> so I didn't do that. But I, part of me would have done that. So anyway, I decided the next morning I'd ring the alcohol Liaison services and let them know I've spoken to this chap. And later on the day, they called me back to say he turned up, he remembered our conversation and he was going back on the programme. Now, I've seen him since and obviously it's very difficult for, for people with alcohol problems to actually get over them. But at that moment God did something and He did something in my heart for him and that's just really what my story was about.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Deb. That's excellent. I just heard that and I thought that is what it's about. Because it's not it those those kind of things they're they're easy to miss things, aren't they? it then it, it's not the obvious story, but it's it's Allowing the Kingdom of God to penetrate every area of our life really, it, on deb 's day off, it would have been so e- so easy isn't it to compartmentalize and no that 's for work i'm uh, this is my time now. It goes back to what I was saying about time and money, but actually allowing the holy spirit to to direct us in in every part of life that the the values that we sing about the, the truth that we declare on a Sunday morning when we're amongst the people of God, allowing that to, to infiltrate into every area of life, to be prompted by the Spirit when, when we really don't want to be. And to say, actually, no, these are, this, this is the God I serve on every day. On my day off, when I'm feeling good, when I'm not feeling good, I'm, this is, I'm serving Jesus at every point. I'm being prompted by this. I'm following what the Spirit would lead me to do at every point. And I just thought that was a great illustration because this will affect us in all sorts of different ways. But I believe that in these days, God is looking for those who will be radical. These are days of incredible opportunity. We hear that so often, but I believe that they're days where God is looking for those who will, who will stand out. Who will do in the public the same as what they do in the private. Who when they hear that whisper of the spirit will go, no, I'm going to go against my agenda. I'm going to put down the things that I was planning to do. The things that uh, were, were on my agenda and our agendas are so full, aren't they? And I'm going I'm to follow what God would have me do. I'm going I'm to go on adventures with God in this kingdom. And I, I find this a huge challenge. But I believe that's what God is calling us to in these days. I believe there's, he's after radicals who will say i'm going to i'm, I'm going to nail my colors to the mast i will go and stand out it will be uncomfortable it was un- it was uncomfortable for daniel's friends in daniel chapter 3 wasn't it these standing out in this way not bowing down to the prevailing culture is is not without cost these, they're moments of tension. But do you know what I mean? Do you know what? If if you've got those moments of tension in life where you're like, oh, I know that the, the Spirit's calling me to do this, but I, I really, I just want to go with the flow. I just want to do this. If if there are those the moments of tension in life like that, I believe that's good. You should be encouraged. I think the worrying time is where there aren't those because it probably means we've already bowed down. Because if if the Bible is anything to to go by, then we're going to come across conflicts all over the place in life. Tension points where the spirit will be pulling us one way, but the kingdom of the the world around us will be pulling us in the other direction. And we're going to feel that tension, and we should. And we need to pray for one another and stand with one another and encourage one another in that, to be obedient, to follow, to not bow down. I say, if you're not feeling that, then worry and ask God to stir your heart. Because if we're followers of the Most High God, then we're going to feel those things. Amen? Amen? Let me give you t- two other quick challenges before we finish. So, that's the main thing. Don't privatize your faith. What does genuine faith look like in this clack of, clash of cultures? It looks like faith that is the same in public and in private, that will not bow down to the prevailing culture that says, no. I nail my colours to the mast. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The second thing is this. True faith in the clash of cultures looks like trusting God without conditions. You see, in the midst of cultures clashing around us, living in one, but in the context of a world which uh, has a completely different set of values, there'll be a lot of trusting God to do. Trusting the outcome when we choose to do the thing we know is obedient to him. Trusting what what's going to happen to us. There will be consequences. But also other times when we're going to have to trust him. So when we're believing for kingdom advance, when we're looking for God to break in in different ways, and he doesn't do it in the way that we're expecting, we're going to have to trust him. There are so many situations, because his kingdom is not yet fully cu- come, where we have to go... God, I don't understand what I see around me, but I put my hope in you and I trust you. Amen? And I love the way that the Daniel's friends do that right here. It's a very simple process and it's one that we can copy. And this is how it goes. They say, God, you can save us. Have you noticed this? Verse 17, it's a great verse. God, you can save us. Not only do we believe that you can, God, we believe that you will save us. Your, your desire towards us is that you will save us. You will bless us. You will look after us in this situation. That is our confidence. So it's not just that you're able. We believe that you love us enough that you will look after us in this situation. But step three, but if you do not, if the fiery furnace consumes us, well, we're gonna trust you anyway. Now that is genuine faith. That's genuinely trusting God. And I believe, again, there's a challenge for us to say, is your faith unconditional this morning? Is your trust in Jesus unconditional? Or does it depend on what the outcome is? Does it depend on the outcome of the situation that you're believing him for? Because so often it's easy for us to say, well, I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God for this person's healing. I'm believing God for my healing. I'm believing God for this person's salvation. I'm believing God that he'll turn this situation around. And that's great. And the Bible tells us to go after him and pray and believe him and have faith and seek him and keep persevering in prayer. But the pattern of faith is, God, I know you can do this. I believe that you will. I believe that you want to. That is your heart. But if you don't, then I still trust you because you're my father and you're good to me. And I know that you've got my best interests at heart. And that's a tough one. In some situations, that's a very tough one to be able to say, I know that you can. I know that your heart towards me is that you will, that you want to. But God, even if you don't, I still trust you. Can you do that? That's the call to us today. That's the second thing. The third challenge is this. Faith expects suffering, but expects God to turn up in the midst of it. So in the midst of this clash of kingdoms that we find ourselves living in, we can expect suffering. The Bible is clear on that. We can expect trials. We we can expect to go through difficult things. Some of it is just to do with being human, to, be, to do with living in a, a fallen world. Some of it may result specifically from going against the flow of the prevailing culture that we've already talked about. So 1 Peter 4 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We don't have time to go into the detail of this today, except to say we should expect those trials, We should expect those difficult patches. We should expect to suffer in different ways. But in the midst of it, we understand from Daniel 3, we're to learn two things. We're to hold on to two things, to know two things. And the first one is this. To quote Nebuchadnezzar in his moment of revelation in verse 29, no other God, small g, saves in the way that the true God does. No other God saves like him. No other God saves like our God. Amen? God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross in our place so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. And he caused him to rise again. He pulled him out of death so that the kingdom that belongs to Jesus Christ might ultimately prevail and that one day it would fill the whole earth. And we'll be part of that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're part of that kingdom that will ultimately fill the earth. And you don't have to face the wrath of God because Jesus has faced it on your behalf. No other God saves like that. Amen? It's all God's initiative. He did it all. You see, every other religion says that you'll be saved if you do well enough. That if you do good, you'll be saved. And the problem with that, of course, is that when we suffer, either it means we haven't done well enough. Or it means that God isn't true or he isn't good. That's where it leaves you. But suffering, we're to expect It's part of being in a fallen world of this clash of kingdoms. But ultimately, we know that we have a hope. Ultimately, we know that the kingdom of Jesus Christ will prevail, that we will be in a kingdom where there is no more tears, where there is no more suffering, where there is no more pain, because no other God saves like ours does. Amen? So in the midst of trials, that's the first thing to remember. And the second thing from the fiery furnace is this, is that Jesus Christ will be with you in the midst of your suffering. So Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth man, the one who looked like a son of the gods. We understand, even Nebuchadnezzar understood that God had sent his his son in that way. He didn't fully understand it, but we believe that that was Jesus standing with those guys. And so in the midst of your trial, in the midst of the thing that you're going through, know that as you believe that Jesus was thrown into the extreme the worst furnace so that you didn't have to that in the middle of your lesser furnace he stands with you amen and that is our reassurance so if that's you today let me read these words from isaiah 43 but now this is what the lord says he who created you do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You're mine. You're mine. Do you hear that? You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, which all through the Bible is a metaphor for trials, for suffering, you will not be burned. Amen. So as we live in a culture which is utterly different from the one that's been put in our hearts as we've given our lives to Jesus. The challenge today is, will will you live a privatized faith and bow down to the gods of the culture? Or will you you be a radical? Will you stand up? Will you say, no, God, I want to be faithful to what I know you'd have me do in every circumstance, in every situation, with every group of people? Would you have a faith that trusts God unconditionally, that's not dependent on an outcome in the situation that you're looking for, but says, no, God, I believe you can turn this around, but if you do not, I'll still trust you. And in the midst of the thing that you're going through, hold on to the God who saves like no other can. And he'll be with you right in the middle of it. Amen? Guys in the band, do you want to come back up while I pray? Father. Actually, while we're seated, can we just close our eyes? I'd love to just pray briefly, just as before the band uh, leads us back into worship. If, If any one of those three things has just done something in you prodded something in you, if you're living with that clash of cultures right now and there's that that pull between the spirit and the the world around, or if there's a challenge to trust God unconditionally, whatever the outcome in the situation that you're facing, or if you're in the middle of a a trial and you need to know that God is with you, can you just stand before me right now? Just stand, not before me, sorry, before God, but let's just take this moment. Just to acknowledge him and say, will you, will you step in, Lord? Father, will you come by your spirit right now? Each one, let's lift our hands before God. Just allow him to come by his spirit to touch you. Father, I pray that you would be at work by your spirit this morning. Lord, I pray for radicals to be raised up in our day. We'll follow you whatever, Lord. And I pray in the midst of suffering that everyone might know that you're right there. Lord, I pray, come Holy Spirit right now. Rest on each one of my brothers and sisters standing before you, Father. Rest on them, Lord. Be at work. Bless. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.